Well, today we're wrapping up um, a series. It's been called FAQ, and uh, it's been different than most series we typically do on Sunday mornings. Um, Usually we we work our way through a story in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But for the last eight weeks, if you're new or visiting this morning, um, we've been asking just tough questions, tough questions that come up about our faith, about God, about the Bible, um, because we all have these questions, right? And uh, and we don't want to ignore them. Um, Questions are good and doubts are good. And when we come to church, we don't want to just put our happy faces on, right? Um, You can bring uh, your questions and your doubts and even your pain or your regrets or your really bad week that you've had. You you can bring and we can bring all of that to church. And so we said, um, let's just ask and acknowledge some of those tough questions. And for the last eight weeks, we've been taking a question each week. Some have been uh, difficult. Some have been heavy. Some I've said, I don't know the answer, but here's some ways to think about it. Um, And so we've been just been working our way through a bunch of different questions. I do want to encourage you to be back here next week. We're going to kick off a brand new series. Um, Stephen will be leading us through that series. Um, Emily and Dan will be preaching as well. And he's been thinking and, and, and planning for that for quite a while. And so that's going to be really cool. So um, especially if you're new, come back for that uh, next week. But today um, we're going to wrap up this FAQ series by asking um, the final question. And it's this, is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way? In other words, are there a bunch of different ways of understanding who God is? Are there a bunch of different paths towards ultimate truth or towards having a relationship with God or towards understanding who God is? And, and Jesus is just one of those ways or just one of those pathways, but there's a lot of different paths and they're all equally valid and they're all potentially equally true. Is that the case or is, is Jesus the only way to God or to understanding God. And this is um, a tough question because uh, you probably know people um, that come from other faith traditions or other uh, religious backgrounds. And some of those people are really nice people and they're really smart people and they're intelligent and they're bright and they're sincere and they're devout. And you want to just conclude, like, I don't see how they could necessarily be wrong and I'm right. And so maybe everyone's right or maybe there's just different ways of understanding God and different people have different ways and that's okay. And that that would be an understandable conclusion, right? But this is also hard because if you're a follower of Jesus and you read the New Testament, you know that the earliest followers of Jesus really did believe Jesus was the only way. they, they, They actually believed that why would God send his son... Jesus to show us this way and then invite us to follow in this way and and to allow us to experience forgiveness and allow us to have a relationship with God, a reconciliation with God. And then Jesus died to make that available to us. Why would he do all that if there were other ways, right? And these earliest Christians really believe that. They believe that so much that they went out and then they gave their lives to that. Many of them actually died for believing that. And they went around and they told everybody they came across. They told them, even people who worshiped other gods, they said, you should stop worshiping those other gods and you should start following and believing and putting your faith in Jesus. In fact, Peter, one of those early Christians, even one time said this. He said, there's really no other option. There's no other name by which someone can be made right with God or have a relationship with God. But that feels really exclusive, doesn't it? I mean, it feels excluding. It even almost feels arrogant to suggest that I'm sort of following the right way and everyone else is the wrong way. 
And so today, um, we're just going to explore this question. Is Jesus the only way? And I thought we'd do it a little differently than we've done the last several weeks. I want to just tell you two stories today. Two stories to help you think a little bit more deeply about this. Uh, One of them is is a story from my life, and then another is a story from someone else's life, and I'll try to tell you their story uh, through their eyes. But first, uh, the story from my life. Um, I actually got into trouble once trying to answer this question, is Jesus the only way? Uh, We used to do these Sundays, um, and they were FAQ Sundays, but it wasn't a whole series. It was just one Sunday, and uh, we would have people write down their toughest questions about the Bible or faith and pass them in during the service, and then I would collect all the cards, and I would come up here, and instead of having a sermon, I would just go through the cards and just offer some thoughts or some answers about each of the questions. And this one Sunday, it was seven years ago, I got to the final question, and it was this one. Is Jesus the only way? And so I had like a minute left. Um, I knew we had to kind of wrap up soon, and so I I remember saying, like, this is a great question. As I was saying that, I was thinking, like, what do I say about this in 30 seconds? Like, I don't know how to... How to, how to say what I think. And, and I remember just simply saying, is Jesus the only way? I don't know. And, and it came out sounding like, I just have no idea, right? And that's not what I meant. And that's not, uh, there was more to it than that. I, I was trying to convey something different, but it just sounded like, is Jesus the only way? I don't know. <laughs> so at this time, we were in the process of hiring someone to oversee our children's ministry. And uh, our children's ministry had grown, and there were lots of new kids, and so we knew we needed to hire someone to oversee those programs. And we were interviewing a bunch of different people, and we landed on this one person, and she was great, and we had interviewed her several different times and gone through this long process. And we were sort of at the end of the process because we knew she was like the perfect fit for the job, and, and she, it was great and all this. And so that, this was the very end of the process, and she was there that day with her family, and she called us that afternoon and said, I'm not interested in the job anymore. And we said, why? And she said, well, my husband and I weren't comfortable with the answer that Norton gave or the lack thereof. (laughs) There was really no answer to that question. And we talked through it and I, you know, but it it just, it didn't work. And so I felt horrible. Um, I mean, I felt really bad at first because it's like uh, we we had gone through this long process with her, and she was great, and there was no no there was nothing wrong other than that, and 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 we thought she was the right fit, and all this, and and then just because of one small comment I made in one sermon, it like screwed everything up, and I just I felt really bad, um, and I went to Stephen and Jason who was on staff then, and Dan, and I was apologizing and saying I'm so sorry, and they said that's okay, you can just never preach again, <laughs> right? <laughs> so just last year is the first time I started back. No, no. Um, <laughs> But I, I also remember thinking, like, what, what should I have said? Like, I get it. I, it what, what, the way I said it wasn't very helpful, and it didn't sound very clear, and it didn't sound very confident. So I get it. Like, I, I should have said it differently. But what was I trying to say? And if I had more time, right, if I could have thought about it, if I could have really sort of unpacked what I was trying to say but explained it a little better, and if I could have been more clear, 
Well, what I've said, what I've said, is Jesus the only way? I don't know. No, I think I would have said, is Jesus the only way? <clears throat> well, let me tell you the story of a man who just might have some thoughts about this. Good morning. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you. Gracias, amigo. Wrong language. Um, My name is Yaakov. Uh, Yaakov, I think in your language is, is Jacob. I think that's how you say it. And today I want to tell you about the day that my life totally changed. See, it was a sunny day in Jerusalem. I remember uh, the sun penetrating my skull. I remember the warmth on my skin. I remember there were a lot of people there because it was right after Sukkot, which is uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We celebrate it every year. It's one of our three biggest festivals, and, and people from all over Israel always come to Jerusalem for this festival. So the city is hopping and buzzing, and we celebrate all week long. It was a week after that, and and some people had already traveled back home, but many people had stayed in Jerusalem. They were still visiting family, reconnecting with friends, worshiping at the temple, offering sacrifices at the temple. I didn't actually see the sacrifices being offered there. Uh, I wasn't allowed in the temple area, but, but I could always smell it. You could smell that, that woody, smoky, sort of meaty, earthy smell of the bulls and the rams being offered on the altar. But I remember this day, it was a Sabbath day. Sabbath days were busy because they had services all day long at the temple. They had 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., right? And there were people always coming and going between the services. And and I don't know what it was, but Sabbath days were always good for me. I don't know if it's because the people uh, felt more righteous going and coming to the temple. I don't know if they felt more uh, generous. I don't know if they felt more more guilty or, or what it was. But Sabbaths were always my best day. I made more money on the Sabbath day than every other day combined. But on this Sabbath day, I remember it was, it was right after the, the 9 a.m. service and, and, and I could tell because all the crowds were shuffling by after the service. It was mid-morning and the 9 a.m. people were always the most faithful people because they got up to go to a 9 a.m. service, right? And the people were shuffling by my corner and I remember a man stopped and he began talking to me, which was strange because no one ever stopped to talk to me. Nobody was interested in my life. Nobody wanted to know my story. I don't know what it's like in your city, but nobody really cares about beggars in Jerusalem. People just keep shuffling by. The best I can hope for is maybe a few coins thrown in my cup. But this man stopped and he asked my name. Yaakov, I said. That's a great name, he said. You know, you're named after one of the fathers of our faith. I said, I remember the stories in Sunday school. 
Where are you from, Yaakov? Right here in Jerusalem. Do you have any family here? No. Yes. Not really. It's a long story. What neighborhood are you from? And he began asking me these questions. I couldn't believe it. Now, I knew there were other people around. I could just sense, I could hear the whispers of other people. And then someone interrupted, Rabbi, we have a question for you. Why is this man being punished? Why why is God angry with him? Why is God punishing him? Is it because of his sin or is it because of his parents' sin? What's the reason behind his blindness? And there it was. The quick and final judgment that almost everybody made about me. Just a a blind beggar. Unclean. Unholy. Unworthy. Nobody that we should care about. It had been that way my whole life. I remember growing up in my parents' household and, and learning that I was different than everyone else and them trying to tell me what it was like to see things. I remember the rabbis and the religious leaders at synagogue saying that God was punishing my family. God was not pleased with my family. That's why I was born this way. Of course, my parents were always embarrassed. I could tell they carried some sort of guilt around with them, this this sense of shame that, that I had done something wrong to bring this on our family. And of course, as I grew up and my eyes didn't get any better, I knew they wished I had just never been born. They wished I would just go away. And that's how most people viewed me. A blind beggar on the corner. They just wished I would go away. They wished I wasn't there. That's how the religious leaders viewed me. That's why they wouldn't let me in the temple. They made me go several blocks away because they just wished I would disappear as well. But this rabbi, this, this, this man they called teacher, he was different. His name was Yeshua. In your language, I think that's Jesus. And he talked to me. He, he seemed to care about me. He, he asked these questions. What neighborhood are you from? Have you ever been to Galilee? That's where I'm from. You should go there sometime. It's beautiful. Have you made any money today? Has anyone given you anything? And we had this, this conversation. And then, then, he said, hold on a second. And he made this noise, and it was the most distinctive noise. (laughs) He was like hucking up this, I don't know, but then something was happening, and there was this shuffling, and I could hear something on the ground, and I could hear his hands moving around, and, and there was more murmuring, and I could feel his breath, because he had kneeled in close, and he said, Yaakov... I'm going to do something strange, but I'm here to help you. And that's when he touched my face. 
nobody had touched my face in a long time. And I remember how just good it felt. And he began wiping my face and my, my eyebrows and my forehead and my nose, but, but mainly my eyes, and it was wet and slobbery and weird and gritty, and I didn't know what it was. And, and then he said, Yaakov, I want you to go down to the pool of Siloam, which was just a few blocks away, and wash the mud off your face. I just need you to trust me on this one. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I did. I, I, I got up and I began making my way down the street. I knew where the pool was. I've been there many times. And, and as I'm going, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, is this all a cruel joke? Am I the butt of another joke? But those thoughts quickly disappeared because there was just something about this man that I just believed he was good and he meant good. So I got down to the pool and I washed my face. And for the first time in my life, I began to see... And I don't know how to explain that to you. When you've lived your whole life without something, you learn to live without that thing, right? You, you, you learn to, to overcome. You learn to cope. You learn to accommodate. You, you learn to somehow turn a, a weakness into a strength. You just have to. You have to keep going. And yet, on that day, for the very first time, I could see shapes and I could see curves and I could see lines and I could see people and I could see trees and I could see light and I could see colors. I had heard these words my entire life, orange and green and violet and blue, but I never knew what they meant. I knew they meant something different, but I was seeing these things and it was amazing. But it was almost like something deeper was happening. It wasn't just that I was seeing new things. It was as if I was becoming a new person. Because this, this weight I had carried my entire life, this shame, this embarrassment, this sense that, that I'm not worthy. It's like, it, it's like it was slowly being lifted off of me. And I wasn't carrying it anymore. And it's like I was a new person. And so I, I ran home, and, and my parents were there, and, and they were shocked. It had been months since I had been home. And, 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 and I told them what had happened, and, and I showed them, I can, I can see you. And, and it was the first time, and I, I was trying to, and they were just paralyzed. It's like they were in shock. They didn't know what to make of any of this. And, and my neighbors were there in the house, and so they asked me what happened. And I said, well, I was on my corner down at Third and Temple, where I usually am, and, and I was taking money, and, and this man came, and he started talking to me, and then he spit on his hands. I know, sounds weird. And then he wiped it on my face. Sounds weird, but it was amazing. And then I went down to the pool and I can see. And they said, come with us. We need to go to the temple. We need to tell the rabbis and the priests and the Pharisees what happened. And so we went down there and there was a group of men wearing these long 
robes. They looked different than everyone else. And I knew these must be the Pharisees. And so uh, our neighbors began to tell the Pharisees and our neighbors knew the Pharisees because they were on the executive financial committee down at the temple. And there was a big building campaign and they knew each other and they worked together on this stuff. And so they began to tell the Pharisees what had happened to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a massive celebration, right? Is, 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 are they going to ask me to tell my story? Are they going to put it on film, right? Are they going to make a video? Or, or, or is Jesus going to become a saint because he performed a miracle and everyone saw it and now he can like, what's going to happen? And I remember... <laughs> The Pharisee, sort of the lead one, looking at me. And he said, tell us, when did this happen? Well, it wasn't long after breakfast. Actually, I skipped breakfast. I didn't have any breakfast. What day did it happen? It happened today. It was just a couple of hours ago. That's when it happened. And he immediately looked away from me at my neighbor's. He said, clearly, this man wasn't actually healed. Because today is the Sabbath day. And no work of healing, no good work could have been performed today in God's name. Because we know the Torah prevents us and forbids us from doing any work on the Sabbath. (laughs) What? Are you crazy? Do you not see what just happened? I mean, I understand the Sabbath rules, and yes, we've learned all the verses, and we know we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and there's a good reason because God didn't work on the seventh day, and we, we get all that, but I was healed. I can see now. Do you not see that? Are you not? Bl- are you blind? I, no, I didn't say any of that out loud, right? Because you don't talk like that to the Pharisees. And, and so my neighbors are standing there and there's this big debate that starts arising. Could this have actually happened on the Sabbath day because work can't happen? And who must have done this? And they told him this teacher named Jesus had done that. And then there was this huge discussion about who Jesus was. And people began to say, well, Jesus is actually a sinner. Jesus is a false teacher. He's a false prophet because you wouldn't do something like that on the Sabbath because they would even know that's breaking the law. That's, that's breaking the Torah. And, and my neighbors are looking back and they say, but, but how, if, if, if Jesus is a sinner and if Jesus is not sent from God and if Jesus didn't actually heal on the Sabbath because that would be wrong, well then how do you explain Yaakov? And the Pharisees said, well, who's Yaakov? The guy that got healed, that can see now, right? And then somebody else said, well, maybe this is all farce. Maybe he wasn't actually blind to begin with. And so he said, let's call his parents to confirm whether he was actually blind or not. So they called my parents. And this guy goes running, and and about 15 minutes later, he comes back, because we didn't live far, with my parents, and I could tell they were scared. They had this look of fear and worry, because when the Pharisees call you and say they want to talk, like, it's not good, usually. It's kind of like when the principal calls, right? You guys know when the principal, you don't know, yes, you do. When the principal calls you to his or her office, it's never good, right? When the Pharisees call you and they want to have a conversation, it's never good. Because the Pharisees are in charge. 
The Pharisees are the ones who determine who's right with God and who's not. Who's been obedient and who hasn't. So my parents are standing there and the Pharisees ask, is this your son? Now I half expected them to simply say, nope. Nope. We don't know who he is. Because they haven't acknowledged me my whole life. But my mom spoke up and she said, yes. He's her son. Was he blind? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. He was. Well, then how do you explain what happened to him? How do you explain the fact that he can see now? And then my dad said, why don't you ask him? Which was amazing because my dad had never pointed to me in his whole life. He had never given me any kind of voice. He had never said, maybe Yaakov has the answer. Maybe Yaakov knows something that would be helpful for anybody else. But here's my dad saying, why don't you ask him? Now, I found out later, my parents, indeed, they were very scared of the Pharisees. Because they knew, and the Pharisees knew about Jesus. Stories had floated around about this miracle worker from Galilee who would come into town at times, especially for the festivals, and would do these miraculous things, and that people were beginning to follow this miracle worker. And the Pharisees didn't want to have any of that, and so they had told everyone in the synagogue, don't listen to Jesus, don't follow Jesus, don't trust in him. He's a false teacher. He's a false prophet. You see, there's a whole backstory going on because the Pharisees were the ones who controlled everything about God. They were the ones who controlled who was in and who was out. They were the ones that knew who was being obedient, who wasn't, who was pleasing God, who wasn't. And so they were sort of like the brokers of righteousness. And who are we to challenge them? They were the smartest They were most learned. They had studied the law more than any of us had. They had risen to this position of control and power. They they taught in the synagogue. Who are we to question anything they said? But that's exactly what Jesus had been doing. Jesus had been going around saying, you don't understand God the right way. God is way different than you think he is. God is way more loving than you think he is. (laughs) In fact, God has a very different picture of who's in and who's out than you do. One day there's going to be a massive banquet in heaven at the table, and there's going to be people seated at the banquet that you don't expect to be there, and there's going to be people who are not there that you expect will be there. And Jesus had challenged the Pharisees because the Pharisees hated people that they saw as sinners, hated people that they saw as outside. And Jesus said, the people that you hate, God actually loves. And the things that you love, God actually hates. 
And so there's this massive question about Jesus who's coming and offering a new perspective, a new way of understanding who God is and having a relationship with him and praying to him and being reconciled to him. And the Pharisees would have none of it because they were being challenged. And so I entered this whole scene and there's this whole backstory going on in that day, this question about who Jesus is, is all on the surface. And so when my father says, well, why don't you ask him? And the Pharisee looks at me, he says this, tell us the truth. Is Jesus a sinner? He must be, right? He must be a sinner, basically, like you. Like the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the blind beggars that he hangs out with. He must be a sinner just like you. If you actually got healed, tell the truth and give God the glory. But don't give it to Jesus because we know there's no way he could have done this because he's just a sinner. And then everything got quiet. And all eyes were on me. And I looked and I saw my parents and I saw my neighbors and I looked around and I realized an entire crowd of people had gathered around and were listening and they were wondering what was I going to say? <laughs> and I looked back at that Pharisee and I said, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. I can't help you with all of your theological questions and debates. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I have a new life. So you figure out what you believe about him from all of that. As for me, I'm going to put my faith in him. And I'm going to begin following him. <clears throat> so that's Yuko's story. You can go read it yourself. It's in John chapter 9. <clears throat> I added a few details. <clears throat> he, um, no. <clears throat> you can go read how it actually ends. <clears throat> but I tell you this story because in some way, it's all of our stories. It's what happens when all of us meet Jesus and decide to follow him. Now many of our stories are not as dramatic Many of them don't include physical healing. Many are not as immediate and unexpected as his was. Mine wasn't that dramatic. Mine didn't include physical healing. I learned to understand who Jesus was over a long period of time and a process in my life, but I can still say my life wouldn't be the same without him. I know hope today because of him. I know God and understand his love for me because of him. I know a level of peace or at least have access to peace when things around me are not very peaceful, when things are swirling and chaotic 
because of him. I know forgiveness. I know God's love for me. I know that God gives me my worth and that my worth is not wrapped up in my job or how good of a parent I am or how good of a husband I am or how good of a person I am or how accomplished or successful I am or how much money I make or any of those things. It's wrapped up in the fact that God loves me because he's my heavenly father and I'm his son and it's not based on any conditions. I wouldn't know or understand any of that if it wasn't for Jesus. And so if you ask me, is Jesus the only way? Well, then like those early followers of his, I would probably say, I think so. Yeah, I believe that because I don't know why he would have come and given his life so that I could have a new life and a relationship with God through him if there were other ways. Now, if you then said, well, what about people in other religions? What about good and sincere people? What about people who have never heard of Jesus? What about people who, for some reason, because of something that happened in their life or because of a a death or something, didn't have a chance to even respond to Jesus? How does God make all of that work out? (laughs) Well, that's where I would probably say what that man said that day. I don't know how God makes all that work out. I can't answer all those theological questions. But here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was dead, and now I have a new life. So I'm just going to put my trust and faith in that. And we're going to wrap up in just a second by singing a couple of songs about God and his love and who Jesus is in our lives. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you happen to be somebody who's still sort of in the process of trying to figure out what do you believe about him? And there's lots of doubts and there's lots of questions still and we've talked about some of those over the last few weeks and we haven't given all kinds of answers because sometimes there's not great answers. But maybe you feel like there's still doubts and questions or there's still something that's holding you back. What if it feels like that's the mud on your face and Jesus is just saying, why don't you trust me? Would you go down to the pool? Let me wash it off and let me give you sight and life and love like you've never known. If that's where you are today, I'd say, what do you have to lose? Why don't you give him a try? Why don't you trust him and see where he takes you? Let me pray for us. Lord, we, um, we talk about your love all the time. Um, And it can seem like this abstract concept and yet each one of us desperately desires to truly be loved and to truly be known. And in our most vulnerable moments where we desire worth and we desire love, God, you can give that to us. And you've done everything it takes You showed your love to us in that you sent your son 
So that while we were still sinners, while we were still on the corner begging, whatever that looks like in our lives, you came to show us a new way and to show us a new life. And so we celebrate that today. We are grateful for that today. And today we reaffirm, or maybe for the first time, we put our faith in that. And we ask you to continue to show us the love and the grace that you've shown us and to begin to transform our lives and to help us see and experience you in deeper and more purposeful and meaningful and holistic ways. God, help us to embrace your love today. We pray this in your name. Amen.